the name of God, in the name of God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. going to talk about three towers today, the tower that's in the gospel, the tower of Siloam, this structure that collapsed and, and, uh, and, and, and killed people through no fault of theirs. I want to talk to you about um, the twin towers that fell on 9-11, and I want to talk to you about the towers that we see falling in the images that are coming out of Ukraine. I'll start with the Ukraine. The images are startling. I grew up during the Vietnam War, and one of the things that was new about that war was that you could watch it on the television uh, at the time of the evening news. So every, every about 6 o'clock, people were glued to their television sets to see what the latest news was from Vietnam. Now we can watch this war in real time as it's going on and see the helmet cameras of the soldiers on our cell phones. And the, and the images, are, the images are, are, are very, very startling. Um, a lot of young men are dying. No small number of women and children. People on both sides. We are astonished at the valor and the competence of the Ukrainians in their self-defense. And we're astonished at the uh, high casualties that the Russians are experiencing. The rabbis of the Talmud, when they wrote their commentaries on the Exodus, the salvation of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. They, um, they sang with Miriam the song of deliverance, the horse and his rider as he thrown into the sea. They also wept, for it was their conviction that the angels of God wept when they saw God's beautiful Egyptians littering the shore of the Red Sea. And uh, we can have compassion for young people that are caught up in things that they don't understand. Many of us have not seen the, the, the kind of destruction that we're seeing up close. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like this, but I've seen something close to it. There may be people here who have served in the military who have seen things like this. But the closest that I've ever come to seeing personally the kind of destruction that we're seeing in these images that are coming out of the Ukraine was uh, when I had the privilege for being just for a very short time, for a, for a long evening from about 3 o'clock in the afternoon to a little past midnight, a chaplain at Ground Zero. And it looked exactly like what we're seeing. Uh, just rubble. It was just rubble and sort of the shells of buildings standing up and charred. And what you can't see in the images comes back to me, which is the smell of death. Now, it took about an hour to walk around 
the ground zero site. And what that is what we did. We just walked around and we and we and we spoke with people. Um, been a priest for even then. I'd been a priest for a long while, about 20 years. And um, sometimes people are glad to see the clergy, and sometimes uh, you get met with hostility. But I never met anybody at Ground Zero who wasn't glad to see us. It took about an hour to walk around it. Um, I can't help but thinking now that devastation that I saw, that that incredible pile of rubble, which was the pile, that's what, what it was called at uh, Ground Zero, that is some small portion of what is happening in one Ukrainian city. And it's happening in dozens of Ukrainian cities. There is a kind of destruction that's going on in the Ukraine that I don't, that our continent has, has never known. Perhaps some of, some places in the South knew something like it, maybe Atlanta when it was burned during the Civil War. But we've not known it. We're, how, how privileged we are here to be spared from these things. Europe has known this. In fact, things like this are more normal for European history than the 70 years of peace that have prevailed since the end of World War II. When I was walking around at Ground Zero, we would walk around, and every once in a while we would be stopped because they were still looking for human remains, and if they thought they found uh, a body or a piece of a body, they would, they, would, they would ask a chaplain to come up on the pile and say some prayers before they reverently removed the human remains. And we were stopped for such a time as that. And I've told you this story before that a young, uh, young uh, policeman, an African-American policeman, uh, obviously a religious man, he stood next to me. He said, uh, you're a man of God. He said, do you think this is the apocalypse? Do you think this is, you know, the end? And it was a fair question. Here I was standing in the middle of a modern cosmopolitan industrial, technological, scientific city. And looking at this kind of hatred and this kind of wreckage and this kind of destruction, it was a, it was a fair question. It was an unavoidable question. And, and how much even more is the question unavoidable, unavoidable now? Um, part of my growing up was uh, a constant fear of nuclear war. Uh, we did drills when I was a little boy in school. Some of us are old enough to remember that, duck and cover. A lot of our neighbors built bomb shelters. My father worked for the Pentagon. He said, don't bother. Uh, we lived under that threat for a long time, and uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, of, of how free we have felt. And now the image of that mushroom cloud haunts us again. And it's uh, an unavoidable question. Is this the apocalypse? Is this the end? What does it mean? What, what do the times hold? So I'll tell you again what I told that young man who asked me that question that night at Ground Zero, I said to him, I don't think it's the apocalypse. 
It's a Greek word. It means literally the veil goes up, the curtain goes up. Uh, when you have a statue and there's going to be a public unveiling, that's the apocalypse, right? And so the Bible speaks, uses this word to speak about a time in history when the veil goes up, the, when the final, when the curtain goes up. And it, the Bible speaks about a, a final apocalypse, a final unveiling, a final unveiling of good is good and evil is evil and God is God and full of judgment and mercy and finally sorting out all things. So is this it? For the Bible says that this time will be preceded by wars and rumors of wars and by plagues. And, you know, is this it? You know? it's, a, it's, a, it's an unavoidable question. Even irreligious people are, are, are likely to ask a question such, like, such as this. I don't think it is the apocalypse. I don't think it is the end. But I do think, and, and here's why I don't think so. I, I think it is God's character to let human wickedness and evil run far, but only so far. He puts a limit to it. When I was growing up, I thought that World War II was a, was a cinch. Winning World War II was a cinch. I watched John Wayne, John Wayne every Saturday afternoon on the television, and uh, it was pretty clear that the Germans and the Japanese never had a chance. Uh, when I got into college and I started reading history, I was really, I was, I, I really, you know, it's, it was a, it was I, one of those moments when you kind of feel the, the bottom fall out of your stomach when you realize, hey, this was a really a near-run thing. This was a really near-run thing. God puts his finger on the scales of history. He lets human wickedness run so far, but no further. But there are... There are times that are apocalyptic times, and uh, we've been living through them. The pandemic has been an apocalyptic time, and now with an even greater intensity comes this apocalyptic moment, this moment when things are unveiled, when evil is revealed as evil, good is revealed as good, truth is revealed as truth, lies are revealed as lies. When things that are precious, like liberty and freedom, are revealed as indeed precious. And when the threat of uh, tyranny is revealed as very real and very dangerous. Now, in such a moment like, like this, they asked Jesus this question about this tower that fell. And Jesus responds to it in this way. He said, the times, in times such as these, it is not time for you to put God in the dock. You know, poor Job, you remember Job in the Bible? And he suffers greatly, and why does God allow suffering? And he wants to take God to court and, and, and sue him, so to speak, and make God justify himself. And God answers him out of the whirlwind. In times such as these, is the phrase of C.S. Lewis, it's not the time to put God in the dock. In times such as these, Jesus says, 
when the shortness of life is being revealed, when the frailty of life is being revealed, when our distance from God is being revealed. Very easy for us to drift away from God. Just the busyness of life will do it to us. And then there are the idols of this world. We have that hymn, all the, all the vain idols that charm me most. And in an apocalyptic uh, moment, uh, the idols are revealed as idols. And charms are revealed as the powerless things that they have, that they are. In times like this, it's not the time to put God in the, in the dark. In times like this, our distance from God is revealed. We drift away from God because of the busyness, busyness of this world. Our, our age is a skeptical age. It's a curious age because it's skeptical and superstitious at the same time. And we drift away from God either from skepticism or because um, we, we prefer some celebrity guru to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ, the God of Augustine and Thomas and Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King. In times such as this, our need for God is revealed to us poignantly and with a urgency. In times such as this, the substitutes for God are revealed for us as the tawdry things that they are whether they are the charms of this world or pseudo-religions of various sorts. In the psalm today, the psalmist is thirsty for God. The psalmist is thirsting for God. Makes me think of another psalm, like as the heart panteth for the water brook, so longeth my soul for thee, O Lord. Uh, my soul thirsts for you, the psalmist says here. In the epistle, Paul is remembering the people of Israel after they're delivered from their bondage in Egypt and they're in the desert and they have physical thirst. But St. Paul is saying, you know, uh, they were fed, fed mirac- they were they were given water miraculously by God's intervention. God told Moses, "Strike the rock, and the water will come out." Now you go down to Washington Park and look at the fountain in the middle of Washington Park. That's what that is. That's Moses striking the rock and thirsty people drinking. And if you look up here on the high altar, you'll see the very same thing in the mosaic on the it's hidden a little bit by the tower uh, repair tower that's up there. But there's a mosaic of Moses uh, striking the rock. And St. Paul is saying, the rock was Christ. For out of him comes the thing for which the human soul thirsts. What we thirst for is that we thirst for the justice of God. We thirst for the peace of God which passes all understanding. We thirst for the love of God which reconciles enemies and reconciles the human race to God. And next to the Jesus, next to Moses striking the rock up there is another mosaic, and it's Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman by the well. And he's promising her 
that he will give her water that will well up in her to eternal life. And there are many things that are being revealed in moments such as this, but one of the things that's being revealed is the tremendous thirst of the human soul, the tremendous thirst of the human race, and God's promise to relieve that thirst. For what we thirst for is the love of God, which has been made known to us in Jesus Christ the Lord, who spread out his arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that the whole world might come within his saving embrace. It is this love which will be revealed at the final curtain, at the true finale, at the very end of all history, when the final curtain goes up, it will be this love that will be revealed to be the ultimate power and the power which ordereth all things. In the valley of the shadow of death, it is revealed that many things that we think are important are not important. In the valley of the shadow of death, it is revealed that we really need a Savior. And in the valley of the shadow of death, God meets us with the promise to give us his peace and the water of his love. So I end today, uh, and I join my prayer, and I invite you to join yours with the psalmist who says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the night watches, for you have been my helper, and God has been faithful, and he has not let us destroy ourselves. For you have been my helper, and under the shadow of your wings have we rejoiced. My soul clings to you. I left 9-11. I left ground zero. I went there a con- very you know, convicted Christian as serious as God would let me be with, with the grace that he gave me as committed a Christian as I could be. I went there believing that the cross of Jesus Christ was the hope of the world. I left there convinced beyond words that in this love, the love of the cross, that has the power of the resurrection to it, that is our gift through the Holy Spirit, in this love is not only my hope, but the hope of the world. And, and the God who says I am is the surety and the promise behind that hope. In the name of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.